Come on. Hello, dear listener. Before we get into today's show, quick ask. If you find value in today's show or you've gotten value out of a previous show, please leave us a quick five-star review. Be super grateful. Thanks a lot. Gustavo, are you ready? Yes, I am. Excellent. How are you? I'm doing great, and I am ready. The people are ready. Let's go. Welcome to Money Savage Engage. This is George Grombacher. Gustavo Rossetti is the founder and culture design strategist of Liberationist. It's an organization helping other organizations build fearless cultures. He's also an author, a speaker, and a consultant. I'm excited to have you on. Gustavo, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Oh, thank you. So, well, on a personal level, I'm a very curious uh, individual, so I like to experiment. I think one of the things I love the most is cooking, and I started cooking since I was 10, 12, and I learned like to cook different uh, cuisines, like French, Italian, Thai, Vietnamese, Japanese, Chinese, you name it. So I like that, and I think that I apply that sense of curiosity and exploration to everything uh, I do. And that's why I love working with companies and team because uh, when it comes to changing or transforming a culture, you know where you start, but you don't know where you're going to finish. And I like that notion of dealing with that uncertainty and exploring and, and hopefully help teams get into a better place. Thanks. Well, I certainly appreciate that. And I, I, I love when I'm able to find sort of a, an analogy or, or, or a great metaphor how do you look at cooking and then look at the work that you do try to tra- trying to transform organizations? Is there similarities? Uh, there are many. And I mean, because uh, usually when it comes to organization, uh, uh, leadership and transformation, people are looking for a recipe. Mm. And most of the cases, it all depends on the palate and the taste of the person that's going to yeah. basically eat. So I try to adjust what I cook to basically the people I invite when I'm cooking. So the same applies to organizational kind of consulting. But most importantly, one thing that is interesting for me, it's when you have to cook without a recipe. Mm. And basically, you open the fridge and you say, what are the ingredients that I have? <laughs> and I have to figure out something. So when it comes to... A helping organizations grow and evolve the culture, I use the same analogy because, I mean, you have to work with what they have. Usually companies try to see, I want to be like Facebook or Google or Apple. You know, they try to copy other, uh, uh, or Tesla, they try to copy other organizations. And in that sense, they don't value what they're good at. So one of the things that we do, first of all, is appreciating what's good, what's already working in the company and try for to build from there. No, it's like, okay, tell me what what ingredients do you have and I'm going to cook something great for you. I love that. It's like, okay, let's open up the fridge and see what we're working with here and then we can we can find out. Okay, nice. Yeah, but also uh, building another layer on that metaphor. Uh, usually when it comes to consultant, consultant likes to tell people like how things work. You know? And I think that the best way to transform the culture of a company or a team is uh, working together. So you have to direct the process but not uh, tell people what to do because it's their company, right? At some point, you as a consultant are going to fade out and they're going to continue working without you. So for me, I remember sometimes I like to invite people a home and maybe most of them don't have a cooking skills or great experience 
but basically I give them different tasks and all together they're working on different uh, aspects of the food, the sauce, whatever. And at the end we have a three course meal that everyone contributed to it, no? And it makes sense. So I think that is also, it's another a, a metaphor when it comes to working with companies. People have to do their work and they have to be part of it. It's not you just telling them what to do or eat if you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I certainly appreciate that. And. I think I think like 100% if you showed up with just a hammer, well, then you're going to end up breaking things. Or if you were, uh, we'll just keep going with this cooking thing. If you only knew how to cook Italian food, then you're probably going to end up with some kind of an Italian dish versus you figuring out uh, what's already working within the organization and being able to tailor it and so you don't have some kind of a prescribed outcome that you are trying to get to. So I, 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 I certainly appreciate that. All right, so so why do people typically engage with you? Is it that they have a problem, or is it that they want to get somewhere that they're not able to get to yet? Um, people usually come because they have a problem. Uh, most of the time, the problem, the problem that they think they have is not the actual one. No? So basically, they, they want to address symptoms, and part of the work we do is try to see, okay, what's causing those symptoms, no? Yeah, and instead of giving you an aspirin or whatever, like a Tylenol, okay, maybe you need something stronger. So we have to find what's the root cause, no? what's the real problem. Uh, sometimes they come because they are reacting to something, no? external pressure. When What happened with the coronavirus you know, in the beginning of the uh, remote work, many companies weren't ready. So they say, ah, I need to adapt. What do you do? You know, they, they were like a kind of reacting. In some other cases, uh, companies know that need to evolve to become more innovative, more adaptive, and thus they look for someone to help them prepare the culture to to get into that place. Yeah, yeah, well, that certainly all makes sense. So we are in an unprecedented time. So I mean, that just that just is what it is. All right. So when you get in, you 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 engage with a company you walk in the door and they say Here, here's what we're sort of thinking here's where we want to get and you say that's excellent um how how do you get started is it you want to obviously figure out what they want but then is it you need to talk to a lot of the key players how how how, how does that actually look yeah usually we talk to a few people uh, before we put a proposal but let's say that once we have the the the, the agreement and we're moving forward uh, we have a kickoff call, like usually with a, with a stakeholder, but then we want to interview different people from the company, not just the big kahunas, the senior executives that, of course, we talk to, but I also like to go for streams. No? So I like to talk to one of those employees that have been in the company forever and they love the company and for them it's the best place to work. But I also like to talk to some rebels, people that are not happy or they're always challenging the company. A, or someone that's new, so they come with fresh eyes, they don't buy into the Kool-Aid and they look things like differently, no? So mix different kind of a, a people within the organization to have a more interesting perspective of different angles. Yeah, right. You need to uh, talk to the new folks, talk to the folks that aren't necessarily the, the happiest or they're always pushing back and then, then the folks at the top. So I think that that certainly makes sense. When... You are going through this process. Some people say we want to be just like Tesla or Face or whatever, and I assume that that means just we want to have an awesome company cor- cor- corporate culture. Um, 
is it through that process of interviewing people that that and then talking with them they say okay this is really what we want our culture to look like this is what our company's culture really is and where we want it to go yes i mean the first thing that we do we have a tool that's called the culture design canvas that we created a few years ago and now it's open so people can download it and use it and it has a lot of guides and, and facilitation tools so people can use it if they want on their own or hire us and uh, the first thing that we do is map the culture and we created like different groups within the company you know hybrid teams with different team members from different departments level perspectives as i mentioned before and the first thing that we do through the lens of this framework is to see okay what's your company culture today and uh, the most important thing is to uncover the gaps you know, we know that uh, CEOs, for example, they tend to have a more beautified, a more idealized version of the company because usually they confuse what the company is and where they want to take the company. Uh, but then when you start talking to people that are closer to the clients and, and to the issues, no, they, they get to have a more realistic version of the culture. So we try to bring those together. When you're working with global companies, we try to map the global company through the eyes of the different countries, no? like a, a, how US or Mexico or Canada or France or UK or New Zealand perceive the same company culture, because we need to first understand what's going on before we start uh, designing the future states. Yeah, well, that certainly makes sense. Got it. Okay. And as you are... Well, you and I, you and I connected. I, 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 I was researching, going through, and, and, and researching how to, um, how to help people become more accountable within organizations. And I came upon, I think, an article or a handful of articles that you had written about developing effective accountability partnerships. And I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm fascinated by that. How is, is that? something that you incorporate into every one of your engagements? I would say mostly because it's a very effective and simple (laughs) piece of work. Um, Usually our approach is you need to start from the core. So if people say, I want my team to be more accountable. Mm -hmm. So that's not something that the CEO like imposes and tomorrow everyone wakes up and wow, we're the most accountable. Just like that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Company ever. That's not going to happen. And actually, the more you tell people to do something, first, they don't get it. And second, it's not, it doesn't motivate. So we want to start first, we work a lot on the individual. What do you need to change as a leader, as a change agent to become better? And then we also work on duos because that's the first, before working on the team level, you need to start establishing these duos. There's a lot of research that shows that when you have an accountability partner, even if you're trying to, I mean, get into a diet or study a new language or exercise more frequently, whatever the, the goal is, that having someone that can be your partner in that sense is gonna help you increase dramatically the chances of achieving your goal no um, so we've been experimenting with that same model applying to the corporate level creating accountability partners uh, partnerships within for example an executive team or within within a regular team and basically it's about putting two people together that they decide to help each other and they agree 
each of them is going to have different goals. No, I need to maybe speak up more at a meeting for one. The other person says, maybe I need to be more a, a team player and less of a, letting my ego drive my decisions or my perspective, whatever. So they set goals and then they agree how they're going to meet. If they're going to meet every week, a, I don't know, through Zoom, Skype or now, right. or phone call, is it an email? They also ask and agree what type of uh, support do you need? You no, know? some people need a partnership that's more on top of them. They're gonna be like, "Hey, have you done this? Have it?" You no, know, like a like with rigor and and, and, and obsession no? <laughs> behind the, the, each step. Some people maybe they just need someone to they can listen to or can ask the right questions or can maybe be motivate a motivate a, a source of motivation and send them quotes and books to read or whatever. No, so. Uh, so the, the partnership is designed to help each of the team members. Each person defines which goals they want to uh, pursue. They're not imposed by their partner, neither by their boss. That's how they work. And, and once people start getting into this and they start making progress, then they move to another goal and another goal. So it builds a cadence of accountability. And when you have 10, 20, 30, 100 partnerships in the same company, then the defect is a uh, multiplying, no? kind of compounded. Yeah, I have to imagine. And when you're talking about the the evidence, or yeah, I, I guess that that's 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 the term that I that I'm looking for here, is that the results are extremely dramatic. About you know having a goal is one thing and working towards it, but when you tack on or when you add on this accountability relationship, it, it's really exponential. It is. It is. I mean, there's some risk that says it can go, your odds can be 95% when you have an accountability partner versus simply having a goal and working on your own. There's something that, I mean, it's when it comes to evidence, pure observation. If someone commits to something like on social media, the moment you do it, you're going to get people that are going to be your partners because they're going to say, ah, you can do it. They're going to support you. They're going to send you tips. They're going to send love. They're going to send good good vibes. No? Yeah. And I think that that already energized because we're social, no? And and there's a point that when you commit to something in public, eh, no one wants to, eh, I mean, eh, fail. <laughs> and then people are going to start asking, hey, Gustavo, you said you're going to bike eh, 100 miles one day. So where's that? No? Show me the evidence. So right. that social pressure also, also works. When it comes to a duo, it's even more effective because basically it's a 50-50 relationship. So if one of the members quits, then the the the, the relationship goes south. And, and another way of working on that result and that evidence that you're asking is that uh, we've been putting this in place with companies. And, and, and it's one of the, the things that most of the companies keep doing after time. You know, they adopt it because they, it works. And... Um, one thing that we advise clients without forcing people is that maybe once a month or every three months, the people can get together and start sharing with others progress and how the, the partnership work so they can inspire other people and, and, and basically uh, bring more people to the, to the exercise. Huh? Yeah, I think that that I, I certainly imagine that that's a really powerful thing. Having people give that testimonial or checking in, hey, on a, whatever it is on the well, how, how does that usually work? Is that through some kind of a company wide communication or just in group meetings when people um, report the results? It, the idea is to because people relate more to a peers. Uh, stories than HR or a manager telling them, look, this is working. No, because the moment you're sending a, 
a company-wide communication, it becomes formal, mm -hmm. no? and people don't, <laughs> that doesn't drive behavior change. But if you have a, an informal informal setting, no? like people get together and each person shares their story and their progress and there's emotions involved and a lot of no? interesting human stories, then people really uh, uh, connect to that. Yeah, yeah, I certainly appreciate that. All right, and so this this strategy can be used really with 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 anybody at any point in in a company. You could use it really anywhere you want it. Just if you're trying to improve something. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you, even for a regular company, are doing okay. Did this tool or this exercise adds an extra layer no, of uh, accountability? Yeah, yeah, I certainly appreciate that. So walk me through again what the real keys to it are. You mentioned when it is that you're going to be communicating, what the medium is. We're going to talk every Tuesday at 2.30 via Zoom. Um, what? Give me those variables again, please. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, basically, you start first by setting goals. So each of the individuals set their own goals. No, so what they need to, and as I mentioned before, do you need to be more active in a meeting? Uh, do you want to uh, maybe challenge your boss more often? Whatever. No. So basically, they focus on one behavior that they want to change, because the idea is uh, usually when people want to start a diet, uh, change their communication skills, uh, and learning everything at once, they fail. No, so we advise people that focus on one uh, change that you want to uh, adopt, establish clear goals so you can track you know, what are the success metrics in terms of what are you trying to do, how are you going to do it, and when. You know? So if someone, for example, wants to speak up more often because they are very uh, shy or, or introverted or maybe they feel intimidated by their bosses, well, maybe say, well, uh, I'm going to make a question, I'm going to ask a question um, in one out of two meetings or something like that, no? something that they can quantify progress. Then the, the duo uh, agrees on how they're gonna work together in order the rules of engagement and define the touch points, the when, where, and like say, are we gonna meet every week on Monday morning via Zoom? No? I love it. And then hopefully give them an opportunity to, 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 to share the progress. I love it. Well, Gustavo, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Uh, difference-making tip? I mean, I, I teased this a little bit a, a moment ago, but basically it's about starting small. Uh, when we try to change everything, we end changing nothing, no? Like uh, it can happen at a corporate or a personal level. And so uh, it's more important to, to focus on building progress, no? Start with small changes and build that cadence and get confidence and build momentum that just try to change and, and win big immediately, you know? So there's an interesting anecdote about the uh, British uh, cycling team that uh, a decade or so ago, uh, they hired a new uh, trainer because, uh, a new coach, because there was over like 50 years since they last uh, won a um, Olympic medal and they never won at the Tour de France, which is an event that happens every year, which is huge for people that are in cycling. It's the most important global event. And instead of trying to change everything, this guy decided to, I'm gonna focus on making 1% improvement in everything. So I'm gonna improve 1% the seats, the designs of the seats, 1% the diets of the, the diet of the, 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 
the, the, the riders, 1% how they train, 1% how we transport the bikes so they don't accumulate dust and so on and so forth. And at the end, these tiny little 1% improvements across the board uh, make them won like six gold medals, gold medals, uh, I don't know how many silver in two Olympics, and then they won two out of three Tour de France you know, in a row. So uh, for me, once again, the tip is start small and build cadence, build this uh, momentum, which is more important than try to do a huge win and then boom, you deplete the motivation and the energy and fall back into uh, long, <laughs> long historic habits. You know? Well, I think that is great stuff that definitely gets a come on. Come on. I couldn't yeah. agree more. <laughs> <laughs> when you try to change everything, you end up changing nothing. So, Gustavo, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? How can they engage with you? Well, I mean, uh, people can go to my website, which is liberationist.org. They can find me on, uh, on on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, publishing stuff. I mean, uh, they would look for Gustavo Rossetti, and they're going to find me pretty easy. <laughs> That's uh, the good about my name. And then in Twitter as well, which is my handle is uh, Gus Rossetti. So G-U-S-R-A-Z-Z-E-T-T-I. And I'm also very active on Twitter as well. Perfect. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Gustavo your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to liberationist.org. Check out all the great resources he's got on there. You can follow him on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. I will list all those in the notes of the show. Thank you again, Gustavo. My pleasure. The show gets a come on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. Spending too much time on social? Is your daily screen time over two hours? Are you a little bit overweight? Not saving enough money? Any or all of these are familiar. Strive could be for you. The Strive two-week online boot camp will help you to detox your mind, body, and money, getting you on your way to a happier, healthier, wealthier, and more confident life. Go to strivedetox.com, S-T-R-I-V-E-D-E-T-O-X.com, and get your mind, body, and money right.